0: Let's Shape the Future is a show where I chat with business leaders, inspiring individuals and more about who and what is shaping the future. I am your host, Ben Dickinson. If you're new here, welcome. And if you're an existing listener, then welcome back. I hope you enjoy the episode and please share with friends, family, colleagues or anyone else you think would enjoy the content. Without further ado, let's crack on with the episode. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Let's Shape the Future. Uh, Today's topic is e-commerce for all, with a guest who leads one of the biggest disruptors in the industry. Shimona Mehta is the Managing Director of EMEA at Shopify. Thank you, Shimona, for joining me today.
1: So great to be with you, Ben. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks. So for those that aren't aware, did you want to give a description of who Shopify are, what you do as a business, and then what your specific role in the business entails?
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Um, Shopify provides all of the tools necessary for anyone to be able to start a business. We provide the channels for people to be able to reach customers wherever they are. And we provide all of the amazing back-end tools that help them to manage their business really seamlessly. We, we really look to take away both the, the fear and any of the friction from being able to start, grow and scale a business. Whether you are you know, sitting at home wanting to start a business that of you know your garage or your uh you know or your really great large company like uh Heinz or Lint or Gymshark you know doing hundreds of millions of dollars a year and looking to scale um and uh, we're about 15 years old uh Toby Luca our CEO uh started the company when he was in his mid-20s Uh, He was simply trying to start a snowboard shop with a friend of his, and as he looked around for an e-commerce solution, he realized nothing out there was good at all, and he had a developer background, so he just decided, you know what, I can't find anything that's good, F it, I'm going to build it myself, Uh, and that's actually how Shopify was born. It was almost by accident, but what is really cool about it is he was the original entrepreneur, and what I think is really exciting about that is that that DNA of entrepreneurship really just bleeds into everything that we do and how we build and how we focus. And so we are the entrepreneurship company, um, which is incredibly exciting. My role uh, here is as managing director of Amia. is I lead our commercial organization. Uh, my job is to ensure that um, we are viewed as the solution for entrepreneurship and building businesses at every level, whether it's institutional, educational, or in in business itself across the region.
0: Yes. Nice. So, so looking at your career as a whole, how have your roles developed um, over time? And then, what drew you to the world of e-commerce? What what made it so appealing to you?
1: Um, You know, it's really funny. uh, If you were to take a look at, you know, my LinkedIn page and my my career path, uh, a lot of it I don't think actually makes sense. But as I've looked backwards and reflected, I've realized it was kind of a journey in self-awareness of one, what I'm passionate about and two, what I'm good at. I started my career in FMCG in marketing, uh, just doing product marketing and brand marketing. You know, for actually a chicken company that sells frozen chicken and fish fingers in restaurants and restaurants in, and in retail in Canada. And uh, and so I originally thought that I would follow this you know kind of traditional marketing career path. But what I found really quickly in the roles that I was doing was, uh, one, I was getting bored very fast, mm-hmm. and. I really wanted to be a part of understanding how how companies and leaders built their strategies, how they thought about growth. And uh, so I ended up going um, customer facing, uh, kind of consulting in the market research world, which gave me a really great opportunity to sit at the table with heads of marketing, heads of sales, heads of insights across some of the largest companies and restaurants in the world, um, restaurant operators in the world. And so that was really great. I started to learn how they operate, how they make decisions. but what uh, what I found was that part of the world, the food manufacturing FMCG world, is actually fairly slow moving. you know on average, the food industry actually only grows about two percent a year. Uh, so your business is really more about maintaining what you have versus innovating and creating and, and finding new ways to grow and, and getting really exciting. and that was missing for me. Uh, which is how I landed myself actually in, in tech and really discovered my passion for, you know, fast growth, experimenting, building things really well, getting to build people. Um, and so you know, my journey's really been through kind of food, food manufacturing, kind of retail, which led me actually to the world of e-commerce as a really great fit, because that world is something that I understand. But more importantly, to be honest with you, it was about being in a place where I could build something and build it well and build it big.
0: Mm. No, it's, it's a great story. And, and it's it's one that I see similarities to in, in a lot of people that I've um, interviewed on, on the podcast. The ones that come from startups, a lot of them, as you say, they go through a journey of loads of different roles and then finding their passion for a partic- particular topic, whether that's um, startups or that's like going industry route. Um, and they all emphasize that they, they have to or they had to do those roles to then find out what they actually wanted to do in life.
1: Yeah, I think it's really, um, for anyone that's starting in their career, I think we sometimes get, um, we put pressure on ourselves to know exactly what we want to do going, you know, into university or, or coming out of, out of school. Um, but how would we know what we're great at and what we're passionate about and where we're meant to have impact in this world until we've tried some things? Mm-hmm. Right? I had to figure out all the areas that, you know, weren't for me first as I started to figure out what was going to be for me and where I actually thought I could have impact.
0: No, and as I say, it's not strange, but so all the leaders that I've interviewed, they all have a similar sort of story in that sense. So um, it's great to reassure younger people that you may not be in a job that you necessarily love, but it's important for you to go through those stages so that then eventually you'll be in something which you have massive passion about. Um, So in, in terms of Shopify as a business, how have you seen it? Grow over time, and how has the business changed during the years that you've been there?
1: A lot of growth over time, <laughs> uh, and over a fast period of time. Um, I think the the best way to talk about the growth is that. We continue to go back to our mission and expanding on it, right? Our mission is to make commerce better for everyone. And how do we remove friction from people's ability to be able to start and grow and scale businesses? And so, you know, Shopify really started, you know, 15 years ago as an online store, really, right? A cart and a checkout and the ability to do that. But what we've really expanded to is how do we make sure that we're thinking about all of the things a business owner needs to think about from when they wake up in the morning until they go to sleep at night? and how are we solving for them, right? The world of commerce is changing so fast right now, right? Like if you take a look at things like social commerce, which has grown exponentially over the last couple of years alone, being able to keep up with that and providing those channels for merchants to be able to connect with say their audiences on TikTok, which didn't even exist five years ago, um, and now has you know, grown exponentially. TikTok's got 100 million active users in Europe alone. So being able to build a partnership and provide that channel so merchants connect, can connect with them and tell their story authentically, those are the things that we're constantly thinking about. Where are our merchants' customers? How do we make sure that we're helping them to reach them? And then, of course, on the back end, how are we thinking about all the ways they need to manage their business? And so beyond just, you know, the the day-to-day admin, we're thinking about things like what about their payments? What about cash flow? What about distribution and logistics with our Shopify fulfillment network that we're playing with right now? Omnichannel, how about offline? And so, you know, we've really grown our POS offering over the last few years as well. And so we've really been thinking holistically about everything Uh, a merchant needs to be able to run and grow their business.
0: It's it's a common theme I I, I see in in the most successful businesses where they, they don't focus on what they're doing. They focus on the pain points of the customer and what do they really need from you. And you have to be um sort of agile enough to adapt to their requirements because as you'll know in in your industry the requirements change all the time there's new platforms new innovation new everything so it's so important to be agile and resilient and and that sort of leads me on to my next question in the fact that all of that is associated with the sort of startup culture that, that you alluded to in terms of being really agile and really having that innovation mindset That, obviously, attitude has been so important and a a key factor in Shopify's growth over the years. How do you ensure that you don't lose that as a business as Shopify grows into this monster organization?
1: That's a, a great question, and it's actually incredibly hard, right? Because as an organization grows... You, uh, you can naturally start to have come in, you know, lots of layers of decision-making or approvals or you know, matrices, matrices and things like that. And so um, we're constantly thinking about how do we actually keep teams small? And how do we continue to push decision making as close to where the information is as possible? Um, And so for me, leadership by intent is the philosophy that's really important to me, which is how do we continue to build in our people? One, the clarity of what good looks like and their north stars so that we give them everything that they need to be able to make great decisions. And two, how do we build in them the competence and the skills so that they can actually action and make those decisions? And then lastly, to me, also the confidence to be able to take risks and feel like it's okay to fail and to make decisions. If as a leader, I do those things, those three things really well, then I can continue to push out decision-making. I can tell people to run and make decisions and make a mess and fail and assure people the same way that actually my leaders have always assured me that, you know what? I will always be more upset with you for anything you don't do than anything that you do and mess up. So you might as well go make a mess because it'll probably only take me a couple of days to clean it up.
0: Yeah. I think um, as you say, it's key to continue the trends and continue the actions that have made Shopify so successful. You see it in some organizations when they grow to such a monster size and they make that switch. If you switch culturally and you get rid of the stuff that's made you successful, it's really going to then start to limit your growth and take away the identity of the business.
1: Yeah. The, one of our core values at Shopify, which and I think that this is really key for any company that's going to hang on to agility, is uh, to be a constant learner right? And to be aiming to get 40% better every year. What we did, how I operated last year is is not going to be good enough to where we're headed tomorrow. And so I have to be willing to constantly let go of how we built things in the past and let go of the decisions that we made, because they may have been great for last year, but they may not be great for our team and where we're headed for next year. And so it's that ability to, um, to let go of that sunk cost fallacy. Right. Just because we did something a certain way before doesn't mean that's going to scale us to something that got, gets you to a one hundred million dollars isn't going to get you to a billion dollars. And so you have to constantly be willing to evolve and rethink how you're building things. Um, and I think that's one of the keys to agility is uh, not being precious about how you've built anything or or, or made any decisions mm. and constantly been thinking about what is the absolute right thing to do right now. And very often the right thing to do is the hard thing to do. And so it's those micro decisions of always choosing the hard thing to do is really what gets you to like moving the needle.
0: Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's great to hear that this is the sort of attitude that a business needs to then be successful. And I think it really makes a company appealing for people to work for in terms of their ideas will be recognized. There's there's no boundaries to, to what they can achieve it and, and so on. Um, so l- looking at e-commerce as an industry, remove the pandemic from the situation. But why do you think there's been such a shift to e-commerce businesses rather than brick and mortar? Obviously, it's been going on for a while.
1: Yes. So first I'll say this. I don't think it's an either or. I think there's. I think it's just that brick and mortar needs to evolve a little bit, right? And think more holistically about their customer. Um, but but why e-commerce generally? You know what? The simplest answer is this, right? this in our hands over the last 12 or 13 years or however long we've now had them means that we no longer go shopping. We are shopping all the time. Every time we open our phones, right? Every time you go log into Instagram and you see an ad and you click through or you're on Facebook and someone's talking about something or you're Googling something. And so or you're on TikTok and you're discovering a really great new brand and an influencer is talking to you about something. It's probably how you discovered um, two blind brothers, right? Mm. So this is what changed everything is that that power shift really went from the retailer to the consumer, right? Before, when we were only brick and mortar, you had to go to the retailer, right? They held it and you had to go to them in order to buy something. Now retailers have to figure out where consumers are already every single day and they've got to go to them, right? We're already sitting on Instagram. We're already sitting on TikTok. We're already sitting in other areas. And so now merchants have to find their way to the customer, um, which is very, very different, right? And, uh, And grab the attention and tell authentic stories. The continued move to like that cultural digital transformation is really stemmed from that. And what we've also seen with the growth of social media is people want stories. And people want to connect with the brands that they talk to, right? It's why you love two blind brothers, right? It's you love like how great is their story, right? And how inspiring is it what they're doing? And so that's the place that we can do that. Brick and mortar, what we what what retailers really need to do is shift their thought process from thinking of brick and mortar solely as a sales channel. And they really do have to think of it as a marketing channel. It's an extension of how someone experiences their brand and tells their story. And it needs to be a little bit more creative. So it shouldn't just be stores stocked with boxes, you know, shoes. Think of when you walk into an Allbirds store, when you walk in, you feel like you're still a part of the brand. There's not a lot of shoes around. It's a little sparse, but you 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 get to learn about their product and you get to understand what they stand for, right? And so these are the things that people need to do to really transform brick and mortar and extend the brand story.
0: I think it's, it's a good point. And I, the, the way that I probably describe it is, like going to a brick and mortar needs to become an experience rather than just going shopping like
1: absolutely
0: one that springs to mind is like um the Hollister like if you go into uh the Hollister store it's so different to all the others but it's it's all centered around their brand so it's like surfers and it's dimmed lights and it's cool music and it's stuff like that and the the, the other side is with most shops People will look online before they go into the shop. A lot of the time, they know if they're going to go into a shop, they probably know what they're going to buy. So it's important for the perception of the brand that they put out on social media to then be reflected in the store. It can't be, as you say, it can't be two separate organizations. It needs to be look, this is the strategy we're going for on social media and and marketing and advertising. And we need to literally take that and put that in the store so that they constantly know that they're in that sort of brand world
1: absolutely that's exactly it and really that's the fundamental idea around omnichannel right which is to unify both your online and offline offline through your back so you deeply understand your customer and you're extending the experience consistently wherever they are
0: mm. and obviously with customer experience there's been the the pandemic over the last 18 months and obviously that's shifted a lot of strategies and stuff like that so how have Shopify had to adapt over the last 18 months? Has it caused a, a sort of shift in strategy for yourselves or has it changed the services you have to provide for customers, for example?
1: Um, yeah, again, I think what's been really great about the last year is our ability to help small businesses get through this time. Um, There were some that actually thrived because they were already digitally prepared and and just we needed to help them be more agile and experiment. And there were some that thankfully we were able to help survive through the time because they really needed to very quickly get online. And so we played with, um, and actually we paused last year in March as an organization and we immediately started to think about What are the things that merchants are going to need most over the next several months? And actually, how do we stop, pivot ourselves and start to do those things? Hmm. Um, And so a really great example of that is buy online, pick up curbside, right? Which continued to allow a lot of people to shop local because... Now your local corner store, your local artisan bakery or restaurant could potentially very quickly implement this and use their brick and mortar store as a distribution center. And you could still safely be able to pick up curbside, which of course was the most important thing. Um, and we were able to pause, and I think through some hack days, um, some few very talented um, developers actually figured out how to do that, and we were able to launch that in just weeks after the pandemic, and be able to push it out into GA so that people could implement that, which was amazing. We looked at um, offerings like our capital product, where we offer cash advances and cash flow to. Merchants who needed it, that was probably one of the most important things that merchants needed last year. Was they just needed cash flow? If their brick and mortar stores got shut down, the thing that they needed was to be able to sustain. And so, within I think five weeks of COVID starting, we had launched uh, our capital uh, product here in the UK so that we could quickly offer merchants a way to get some access to cash. So last year was really all about what do merchants need right now to pivot quickly. We also knew that we were going to see a lot of legacy companies and operators who were going to need to figure out very quickly how to get online fast if most of their revenue was sitting um you know brick and mortar. And so we actually, you know, partner with a lot of our ecosystem, you know, agencies, digital agencies who who build uh who build sites, and we partnered with a lot of them to create a program to help get merchants online quickly. So rather than taking, you know, you know three or four months that it might usually take on Shopify Plus. We were trying to get them online quickly within, you know, four weeks and six weeks so that they get be back online and transacting what as they needed to, and then think of a phased approach to to mature their sites. So we did a lot last year. It was all focused on pivoting and just how do we help merchants get through this time?
0: Mm. As you say, I think the the key sort of buzzwords that we've got is agility and resilience in terms of, and and it's great to hear that local stores have been able to access, if anything, more customers than maybe they previously could have, but they've still got the facilities to operate um, as if they were were normally open. So, so to that point, we have small local businesses. So, how important is it for for you as Shopify to enable not just big corporates, but anyone from their garage or from anything to launch an e-commerce store within a short period of time?
1: Oh, it's, I mean, small businesses are the key to our economy and to our recovery, right? And uh, what I see actually is more and more people are looking to shop local. And so it's incredibly important for us to do that. One of my favorite stories actually from, from last year, I think I mentioned this to you when we chatted last week, was, um, was Pizza Pilgrims. Uh, they are local London-based pizza restaurant. And uh, before COVID hit, they had 10 locations actually beyond, uh, beyond London and around the UK. But of course, when restaurants closed last March, they went from record sales to absolutely zero. Um, the brothers behind pizza pilgrim decided to design an at-home pizza kits and as an alternative avenue for the business. So they called it pizza in the post, which I think is so cute okay. and so brilliant. Uh, they came to us of course, to build a site that could scale. And for really good reason, the first day they, they experimented with 50 kits. They sold out in 20 seconds. Um, three days later, they sold a thousand kits in less than an hour. And so Thumb, the co-founder had said, you know, to put it into context, that was their busiest trading hour in the history of Pizza Pilgrims and all of their stores were closed. And so it wasn't just a valuable revenue stream. What they also ended up being able to do was now leverage social. And so they were able to encourage customers to share their at-home baking um, and they would get three to 400 Instagram stories a day from pe- people wanting like their pizza making skills to get rated. So Stores are closed, they're doing record sales, and they're building a connected online community. Um, this is the the power that we can hand small businesses that had to go through shutdowns.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, it, it's an amazing story. And, I, and I've seen a couple of those around it. Like there's a, um, I think it's called Mother Clucker. It's in, it's in central London. And it's, it's sort of like a, a small sort of fried chicken place. And they were doing a similar thing where they would, Like you could basically make it at home. So they give you all of the ingredients. And and as you say, if anything, it's getting the customer closer to the business and it's building that relationship, even without the business having to put together the product that they produce. It's, 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 It's a crazy concept in terms of, look, we as a business, we'll just give you the ingredients that we use to make stuff. And you can do it at home, and then share the experience together. And and know it, it's amazing to see. Um, in terms of industry subsegments, so have you seen a change in market segments grow over the pandemic? Like, for example, is there any industries that maybe were pretty much solely brick and mortar um, that have then been hit by COVID and have moved online, like I know, like like, like a butchers, for example, or something like that.
1: Uh, so it's really funny, actually, we were just taking a look at uh, some UK trends of, you know, some segments or some verticals that uh, that grew or declined over the last year. Generally speaking, um, you might find some of these funny. So generally speaking, um, what we saw grow exponentially, coffee, coffee. Alcohol, sweets, <laughs> <laughs> um, all grew really, really, uh, all grew exponentially in decline. Clothing, um, phone accessories, because you know no one's going out and dropping their phones anymore, um, and, uh, and and things like that. What we also saw grow actually really well last year, specifically, was uh, home and garden. You just talked about you're going to spend next week, right? You're going to be uh, you're going to be honing your garden. So home and garden became very important last year. Furniture and office furniture became important last year as everyone started to set up their home offices and just try and make their home environments more appealing. Um, And so there are certain segments that maybe we would have really focused on in person I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't have imagined last year, you know, buying a sofa online Um, yet. I furnished a flat last year in London all through COVID and I bought both my furniture and my armchair online, which was amazing Uh, snug sofa because they, flat pack their sofas and it was the one thing I could get delivered which was really great and maker and son for my armchair because they found a really great way to still let me be able to touch and feel the product they actually created a rolling showroom they put uh, they put an armchair in a van and they drive to, uh, they drive around to appointments to people so you can get into the van. Be able to sit in the sofa, look at the swatches, and order from a distance with them right there in the van, rather than having to go to a store. So, what a great creative way for me to continue to be able to buy those high-priced tag items, um, basically online.
0: Mm, It's it's amazing to hear these sort of stories. Like if you'd have said this two years ago, you'd be like, "Oh, that's crazy. That's never going to work. There's never going to be appeal for that." But it just shows. Like we keep coming back to it. It's so important for. Businesses to adapt to the changing requirements of the customer, because as you say, a massive growth segment, sweets. I, I, I saw loads of um, companies online selling like uh, American sweets, or so even like on um, like TikTok, you'd get a brand that's selling sweets, and then people would request to have like a video of them. Package their order, and then it would share, and it just just go crazy. Like it's it is amazing to see that relationship. And
1: one of my other favorite stories, actually from last year, is um, a really great fine jewelry merchant called Chupi in Ireland. Um, they specialize in engagement rings, so you can imagine that's definitely something that someone is going to go in person and really mm. want to take a look at and inspect and. Uh, particularly within the engagement rings, a lot of relationship building and trust building and education goes in that because someone needs a lot, you know, they're gonna spend quite a bit of money. They managed to actually create virtual appointments And uh, by implementing again, some technology, they even played with AR VR. So you could get a really great look at the, you know, the cut of of a diamond and a stone as you were, um, as you were taking a look at it online. And they actually continued to sustain their sales all through COVID, even though their brick and mortar was was closed, which is phenomenal because they found a way to continue to create that personalized experience that would help people be able to make those decisions and then be able to get them to them. So um, again, those merchants that were willing and able to be agile and to play with technology and to really pull different levers were able to really thrive and get creative through last year. I saw so many inspiring stories like that.
0: Yeah. It sort of brings to mind, there was, there's loads of clothes stores now which can utilize technology where you'd like stand with a camera on your phone and then you could literally see what you're going to purchase. Cause you can't, even when the shops were open post lockdown, a lot of the changing rooms were shut so you couldn't try anything on or anything like that. So what a way to look at yourself wearing the clothes so you you still get that experience but without um like having to physically do it so it's it's great to see technology being used as a tool to help these businesses um adapt but so we we mentioned small businesses now looking at corporate specifically. So why do you think Shopify is so appealing to companies, even when they've grown to such a huge scale? What does it enable them to do that maybe building their own site and maintaining that necessarily doesn't?
1: Uh, I think there's a couple of segments of really large companies there. One is those that have um, grown, but never been online before. Um, What we're able to do is really, uh, make that segue into the digital world a really seamless, right? Because we provide them that platform as well as a really great ecosystem to be able to navigate that world really seamlessly without a whole lot of internal resources and developers. Um, Heinz is a really great example last year through COVID. They're a hundred year old company. They've never done anything online before. And they came to us wanting to, you know, Months, you know, sell their Heinz ketchup and the baked beans online and get them to um, get them to you know, really loyal UK customers. And so for the first time, we got them launched within a few weeks. And for the very first time, here they are shipping online. So they obviously didn't have that expertise in house. We could really help them with a partner in order to be able to do that really well. What becomes incredibly valuable to them there as well is that customer data that helps them to deeply know and understand their customer and continue that relationship and think about how they're going to engage with them. So that's one segment of customer, right? Those that have never been online before, Heinz, Lint, Princes, all of them came online last year for the first time. Um, then you've got the other kind of customer maybe who's grown in scale. They've had a digital presence, but where we're really able to help them is, uh, is through the agility, right? That we can provide is a lot of other um, I think enterprise type platforms will require a lot of developer work Mm -hmm. and we've really built Shopify and Shopify plus as what I would almost call like the iOS of e-commerce. It's, it's a platform. And what be, what makes that so valuable is one, the scalability that we've built it with, but the extensibility and the agility that we provide by having an incredibly huge developer and app ecosystem, right? And so whatever your business model or need or how you're going to continue to grow in the future, you're going to be able to plug and play and try different things so that you can then configure and extend to the needs of your growing business, right? And so uh, a great example is, uh, you know, loyalty programs. There are multiple companies or developers that will build loyalty programs that will extend off of the Shopify platform. And so if you're thinking about a loyalty program you don't need to go build something custom and spend thousands and thousands of dollars just for you. And then if it doesn't work, you're kind of screwed. With us, what you can do is work with the developer and app partner. You can plug and play, see what works for you, play with it. If it doesn't unplug and plug something else in. Um, And then you can also take advantage, again, when you've got 1.7 million merchants on the platform like we do, what you start to take advantage of, of course, is the power of scale, right, And, and the power of the technology that we're able to push forward, whether that's partnerships with, like I said, like with TikTok and Instagram and things like that, that you can now take advantage of natively versus having to build those relationships yourself, whether it's the payments ecosystem and those relationships that we build with all the payments partners or our own payments gateway, or lastly, the brand new technology, right? The AR and VR, um, which we're playing with and we're starting to put in video and photographs, all of those things that we're working on, that would be a lot for a merchant to try and build on their own platform. And what they have actually is a platform that's going to provide all of that because we are at the forefront of where commerce is.
0: Mm-hmm. As you say, it's it's great for businesses that maybe they see something that on, on the Shopify app ecosystem that they maybe hadn't thought of before. And they're like, oh, how, how, can we give that a go? And, and as you say, instead of having to spend hours and hours and money and everything putting that together and then testing it you can just all right let's switch it on for say a couple of months see how it goes work with shopify to to develop it and then if it doesn't work right let's see what else is available and you can learn from other companies best practices and and see what they're using and then sort of really drive that without having the the issues of spending loads of money and time etc
1: yeah, uh, there's a, a quote from Toby, uh, Luca, our CEO, that I actually love, that I think encapsulates it for really large businesses, Ben, um, which is, uh, a business can take the value it saves on not having to build their own technology platform and use that to invest to strengthen other parts of their business, like product or marketing or customers. At the end of the day, really, what we want to do is we want to take technology off of the minds and resources of a business so that they can focus on what they're good at, which is, again, their customers and their product. They shouldn't have to spend those dollars on technology. They should be spending all the spare dollars they have on marketing product and uh, their customers.
0: It's perfect combination then, isn't
1: it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: So we mentioned Pizza Pilgrims earlier, and I know you love talking about different customer stories you've got. Are there any other favorite customers or favorite stories that you've got of people that, that utilize Shopify?
1: Yes. um, I've got a, Uh, One or two, uh, I did a LinkedIn Live, I think, or a clubhouse recently with um, the founder of Foxwater, P H O X. They're based out of Scotland uh, and they've built the world's first sustainable water filter, um, which is phenomenal. And last year, they did, uh, I think, close to 70% of their volume leading up to COVID was actually going through Amazon. They did, you know, really great volume going through Amazon. It was great for discoverability. However, when COVID hit, Amazon decided to focus solely on, um, you know, essential products and stop shipping everything else because they were focused. They deemed Fox non-essential. And so overnight, 70% of their revenue just went away. What I love is that they were able to, you know, they played with SEO, their SEO tools through their Shopify admin. They leveraged our TikTok partnership and started to, you know, create relationships. And they actually replaced all of that revenue within weeks. Uh, And they're now using the platform to to grow internationally. They're going to be I I hear they're going to be launching in a couple other countries soon. uh, And I think there's some things, you know, on a on a boat somewhere to other countries. And so the pandemic and losing 70 percent of their revenue stream overnight uh, just caused them to get creative, to get agile. That potential disastrous moment actually turned into growth and innovation and scaling for them, which is amazing.
0: No, it's a great story, and and you mentioned there about partnerships with with TikTok and Instagram and that sort of stuff. How important are social networks and other channels to the growth of Shopify moving forward?
1: Uh, it's really about the growth of our merchants, right? And I think it's going to be really essential. Social commerce, uh, and we've seen this over the last few years, and especially over the last year, it's where customers are want to go to discover new brands. And so uh, what we need to do is continue to make sure that we're making those channels available to merchants because customers are looking to discover brands, they're looking to connect with them. And the these social spaces are the right place to be able to tell your story authentically. And people are looking to connect with brands whose stories they, they connect with. Gymshark's a really great example from, you know, they've done such a good job of building community right? You, when you go to Gymshark, you understand what they stand for, and they're not afraid to talk about it. Through COVID, they did such an incredible job of supporting personal trainers who were out of work as gyms closed, and actually bringing them into their spaces to do, you know, trainings. If you take a look at their pages, every single day, you could see a different, you know, training from a personal trainer that they had brought into their space under Gymshark's Instagram pages. Um, and they created community, and they talk a lot about that health and fitness community. And so, people really connect. Connect with who Jim uh, Shark is and what they stand for, and they learn about that through social commerce, and then they want to do business with them. So, um, social become is has not just become important, but I believe it's actually become more important. Um, it has to do with uh, people's desire for transparency of who brands are and what they stand for.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I agree. I think there's there, there's a, there's two sides to it, isn't there? You get the transparency into what the brand stands for, but you also get transparency in how the Brand operates in terms of like behind the scenes packaging orders like production lines how how you go from design you see the whole process in like a time lapse to, to final product and um tiktok especially i've seen the the growth in that over the last sort of um 18 months as, as i alluded to earlier there's there's so many businesses that will package orders and just share them packaging the order and it builds that trust between the customer and the brand, but it also then sort of makes more customers want to then purchase from the brand because they know that like the, there's a human behind it. There's a human process. It's not like a machine. They're they're real people who have a real connection with them. And that's real buying power for, for the customer. It's, It's really what draws them to these small businesses rather than necessarily huge corporates.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love following along with stories when a founder maybe posts a picture of their new office that they're going to be moving into, right? If you if you've been supporting that business, you feel happy for them, right? You mm. feel like you're a part of their success as well. It's again, it's just that that connection that people want.
0: Mm. No, no, absolutely. And let's let's look to the future a bit. So, not necessarily a time scale, but just just looking at the the art of the possible. Where do you see? brick and mortar going where do you see e-commerce going is there any sort of trends that you can see in the future um
1: yeah the there's a couple of things um one what we saw through the last year is really just a tailwind that accelerated trends that were already there Ben. so this is not necessarily but i think a shifting of trends it's an acceleration what what i like to say is what we really saw is that 2030 came forward like nine or ten years um, and so where we expected to be in terms of digital cultural digital transformation has just been accelerated um we saw 150 million people shop online for the first time last year right and so one of the most immediate trends i see is you've got all of these new people shopping online. So things like simplicity in navigation and convenience um, are all very, very important right now to help, you know, and there's new different demographics of people shopping online as well. So how do you make it easy to discover? How do you make it easy to shop and navigate your sites and to complete purchases and to complete returns? So that simplicity becomes very important immediacy also becomes more and more important in this, you know, Amazon Prime kind of world. And so this is actually where people can really, um, I think, leverage their brick and mortar spaces to provide that immediacy through like local shopping, you know, buying online and picking up in-store, picking up curbside. But it's not just this floor that's been raised that I see, which is just like the bare bones of being able to, if people, you know, making it easier for people to shop. But People um, and consumers want to continue to be wowed. So it's going to be the continued enrichment of digital experiences. Um, And so experiences in general, I think, are going to be really, really huge, whether you're creating them online or offline. Um, In fact, you started to talk a little bit about it before, too, right? Like, how do you create an experience when someone walks into your store? And there are some brands that do it really well, that you walk in and you feel like you are a part of something versus just, you know, looking at product on a rack. Um, and so experiences are going to become very huge, almost like, uh, shopping as entertainment or retail as entertainment, I think is going to be really huge, particularly as everyone comes out of COVID and wants new forms of entertainment and engagement and connection. So that will be huge. The, Uh, consumers continue to be at the center and in control of the buying experience becomes important. And so always thinking about how we continue to enrich and wow. And so whether that is through um, really great, rich online like video, uh, playing with AR and VR, but not just using technology for technology's sake. Making sure it enhances the experience for the customer. Maybe it's online chats in education if they're really you know like high price tag um, kind of products like Herman Miller chairs, um, which are really important right now as people stock up their home offices. You know those are potentially thousand dollar price tag chairs, and so having someone who's there and available, just like if you were in a store to be able to provide that education and help someone make a decision. So rich, rich experiences raising the floor on an, on immediacy and convenience and making sure that you are thinking about those offline experiences as well.
0: Mm. As you say, I think the, 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 the key word there is experience. It's all about what the customer needs, the evolving, the evolving customer needs. And, and obviously that will, as we've seen over the last couple of years, but, Looking forward, it's only going to keep adapting, keep adapting as technology develops, and you see things like, for example, uh, a Revolut a Monzo really digitally transforming banking. And so, instead of having to go to a bank and wait in a, like, banks are pretty boring to go into. It's not exactly somewhere <laughs> you get an experience, but. The you spoke about the accessibility, the immediacy, and that's what these sorts of platforms are providing, which is really where they're, they're, you're really seeing a shift. Um, so now, to quickly look at, at Shopify, just to finish off. So, where do you see the business going over the next couple of years? Is there any? Do you have any sort of core goals that you want to achieve? Our goal
1: really is just to continue to expand on our mission. And and this is honestly one of the reasons why um, Shopify is really special to me is is our focus is our mission and that doesn't shift or alter, it's how do we make commerce better and more accessible to everyone. Um, And so our goal over the next couple of years is to continue to grow in the areas that we've been talking about in investing. So continuing to make our online platform more extensible, continuing to grow our developer community so that we provide that scalability and extensibility of the platform. We're gonna to continue to invest in the, our retail and our POS offering. And uh, in fact, I'll be we'll be launching it in uh, multiple countries in EMEA um, over the next little while, which will be really great. Um, and continuing to focus on our, you know, our financial services offerings, uh, our payments, Shop Pay, our app is absolutely the the product I'm most excited about right now. Which provides really seamless checkout for uh, for merchants when it's implemented. It provides people the opportunity to be able to track all of their stores. It improves conversion for our merchants, and conversion is really really key right now for new acquisition as well as for retention. Um, and so. There's multiple areas that we're playing in, in, in Ben right now as we think about what merchants are gonna need in order to be able to grow into scale. And we're just gonna continue to invest in all of them uh, as we continue to like invest in the markets we're in and then think about how we grow exponentially.
0: I think from, from what you just said, the, the, the future is exciting. and The future is bright, I think, at, at Shopify. So no, I'm looking forward to seeing where you go. Um, yeah, Shimona, that, that, that's it from me. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure having you join me. Um, I've really, really enjoyed the conversation. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing Shopify continue to take over the world of e-commerce. So, so thank you so much for joining me. Thanks,
1: Ben. This was fun. And thank you for having me.
0: And that is the end of another great episode of Let's Shape the Future Season 2. We've got two episodes left before the end of the series. On next week's episode, we'll be joined by Jill Papelka, President of SAP SuccessFactors, um, which was a really, really great episode that I enjoyed a lot, so please keep an eye out for that. Um, as always, please leave a review if you enjoyed the content and share with friends, family, colleagues or anyone else you think would enjoy it. Have a great week.